All right, you're going to open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 3. We are in Peter's sermon. We started last week talking about miracles. Do you believe in miracles? So this is kind of the second half of that sermon. If you missed it, you got to go check it out. We talked about miracles. We talked about healing. We talked about how God does that, why he does, why he doesn't. Today, the sermon has a very simple title, Turn Around. This is the entire message, two words, turn around. It's the whole point of Peter's sermon, turn around. Now, I found a video of the craziest U-turn ever recorded. It's this bus on this road going the wrong way. Check it out. This is yeah, I'm glad you got the preview because now you get to see how it all started. Just imagine what it feels like to be on this bus. Oh, boy. <laughs> Almost got it. Almost got it. And I think they're in the clear. <laughs> now, I hate to spoil it for you, but that was actually from a game. It was not a real bus. Woo! All right, now look, the whole sermon is that, okay? Okay, you and I have to do that. We are going the wrong way, and, and whether it's a three-point or a 30-point or the craziest-looking U-turn you've ever done in your life, we have to know when and how to turn around. That's the whole sermon. So here we are in Acts chapter 3, verse 13. And here's what Peter says. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this were witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. He's talking to the crowd in the temple about a, blind, uh, about a lame beggar who had been healed after 40 years. This is a recap of last week. And he's saying it's Jesus who healed him. It says in verse 17, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And here's the key verse. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. So the first thing you can write down is this. Repent, believe in the name of Jesus, and you will be saved. And that's the only point of the message this morning. But watch out, I've got sub-points, so you're going to be here for a feature-length sermon, okay? This is, that's it, though. The whole point is repent, which means to turn around, believe in the name of Jesus, and you will be saved. They were asking how this over 40-year-old man got healed, and the crowd was in awe and wonder, and they were guessing, how did this happen? Okay, so you be the crowd, right? You be the crowd. And you're wondering, uh, you're wondering if we know magic, right? So say, do you know magic? No. Now you're wondering if I'm a super holy person. So say, are you super holy? 
No. Now say, is Jesus alive? Yes, that's how it happened. See, you're trying to figure out as the crowd what's going on. And you're kind of getting it wrong. And, I, and then Peter's like, Jesus is alive. That's how it's happening. So therefore, if Jesus is alive, we have to repent. The crowd had to realize they got it wrong. He's kind of doing this trial. Pilate, do you remember? It wasn't too long ago. You said, crucify him. He's now alive. Oops. You're in big trouble. It's like a prosecuting attorney. So therefore, you have to turn toward the risen Christ. That is the whole point. The idea of repentance is central to Peter's sermon. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. We must turn around. We must turn towards. We must turn back or our sins won't be blotted out. That means there's a point in your life, in my life, where we have to recognize and agree with God's authoritative word that we are going the wrong way. We are that bus. And if we keep going and doing it our way and we disagree with God, then our sins will not be forgiven and we will not go to heaven. We have to stop and we have to make the fastest or ugliest U-turn you've ever seen in your life, and then we have to start going towards God. Has that happened in your life? Are you a saved person? Has your entire life been turned around? If not, it can happen today. But sometimes Christians make the mistake of thinking that they only need to make one U-turn. Repent? Oh, I hope there's some lost people here today who need to hear about that. Uh, uh, we're going to be doing U-turns our entire lives, loved ones, because we start going down the wrong road as Christians very often. Oh yeah, we're headed to heaven, but we're going the wrong way in one area of life, and God starts prompting us to turn around. Hey, you need to turn that around. Hey, you need to walk that back. You're wandering again. You're drifting again. It's time to turn. And maybe you're a Christian here today and God is telling you there's an area of your life that he wants to forgive, that he wants you to turn around, that he wants to wipe away that stain, that sin, and redirect you. That's what we have to do. Colossians 2.14 tells us what repentance does. It says this, "...by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross." There is a record of debt. The record of debt includes your record of sin. Books are being kept. The record of debt also includes God's righteous judgment and requirements that you were supposed to fulfill and you didn't. Therefore, there is a record of debt that is opposed to us. And God wants to take it away by nailing it to the cross. That's a way of saying that only Jesus, who died for you, can remove your sins. That's why you turn toward him. Turn around. You have to turn around for the first time. This is what we learn about human nature. You have to turn around for the first time to get saved. Then, as you're bumbling through life, you have to turn around again, not to get saved, but to get sanctified, to get washed, to get redirected, to stay in the step with God's Spirit. Hey, is there an area in your life right now where God is telling you, turn around. You're going the wrong way. Is there an area externally, your vocabulary, 
substances that you are messing around with? Is there an area of your life internally, emotionally, your anger, your rage, your temper, your envy, your comparison, your bitterness, your fear, your worry, why you're not sleeping at night and God's saying, that's not the road that I have marked out for you. It's time to turn around. This is called repentance. It's when we, we make a decisive break with our pattern of sin. It happens once when we get saved and it happens thousands of times as we get sanctified. Hey, repent. Believe in the name of Jesus and you'll be saved. Turn around. Now he gives us motives for why we should do that. So say why. Sometimes this sermon's about how. Maybe you're a doer and you're like, give me five different ways that I can do this. But this is motivation. If you've got kids, you know they really want to know why they have to clean their room. Why? Oh, they know how. They might act like they don't know how. They know how. They forget sometimes. Oh, does the sheet go like this? Oh, I just don't know. Where does the pillow go? I don't even remember how to clean my room. And then they're like, why do I have to do it? Nobody's coming over. Motives and methods are both essential to our obedience. Today we're going to get motives. Why do I have to repent and believe? Jot this down because there's only one true God. There's only one true God. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus. There is only one true God. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those are the patriarchs. We're going 2,000 years before Christ here. And this is the God of the patriarchs, the God of the Old Testament. That's the God. This isn't any old God. People have different beliefs today about God. The area of theology here is called theology proper. Who is God? We believe there is one true God. God is one And God exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's not PC today to say there's only one God, to tell someone else they're wrong about their theology, but this is what the Bible holds out. There is one true God. What's the first commandment? You may have no other gods, no other gods before me. And then what? You shall not make idols for yourself. And then what? You shall not misuse my name. We've got to get those things right before anything else comes about. Sometimes you have to verify your identity. Have you ever gone to the DMV? Raise your hand if you've gone to the DMV. Oh, who wants to go there? You check the website before you go, because you know what they're going to ask you. They're going to ask you for what? For proof of residency. Oh, you need one thing from type A and another thing from type B and another thing from list C and another thing from sublist D. And then you get up there and they're just waiting to turn you away. Does it matter how long you wait? Years ago, when I lost my license, I went back in, needed to get a new license, and she put the sheet out there, and I had all of my paperwork. She said, all right, sign this. Well, you know, I, I had signed my first license. I was 16. I signed it like an idiot because I was just having fun. I signed it Ryan J. Hall the first. Okay. Well, now, a little bit older Ryan is at the DMV, and I signed my name differently, and she goes like this. No, that doesn't match. I'm like, what do you mean it doesn't match? She's like, it doesn't match. Try again. Try again. So I tried again. She goes, it still doesn't match. And I'm like, is this a three strike you're out thing? Am I going to have to be driven around by mom again? If I don't. So now my hand's shaking and I have to sign 
Ryan J. Hall the first. And then she's like, all right, your identity has been verified. <laughs> it's important that you are you. Hey, look, if you get God's identity wrong, it's because you're not verifying his identity by the Bible. He has verified who he is, okay? And we have to see the proof and not say, oh, I don't even know who God is. He has documented it in Scripture. You can deny it, but he has thoroughly documented it. Why does that matter? Because Peter's very clear. Hey, look, Jesus didn't come now with a new God. We're not walking away. This is the one true God who's fulfilling his promises here. Why should I repent and believe in the name of Jesus? Well, because there's one true God. Do you know the one true God? Have you seen the identity verifications that he has placed right in front of you? Creation is one way he verifies his identity. There must be a God. You see a beautiful mountain range. You see a glorious sunrise. You see a lake that takes your breath away. You see the animal kingdom and all of its complexity, and he's laying down his verification before you. There must be a God. Creation does it. Your conscience does it. Hey, that was wrong. Where did that come from? Kids know really early on when they got to hide something. All right, they know really early on. That's the conscience made in the image of God, coming online, that's God's idea, you're made in his image. The canon of scripture is full of God revealing himself in history. He's here, he's here, this is who he is. And Peter's essentially saying, this that's going on in our life, this healing is that in the scripture. This is that. It's coming true. And then, of course, Christ is the full manifestation of the glory and identity of God. He's laid it all before you. Are you willing to see it, or have you turned away from it? Believe, repent, because there's one true God. Do you know personally the one true God? He has done so much to reveal himself to you. Jot this down. And then, because Jesus is the promised Messiah. Repent, believe in the name of Jesus, you'll be saved, because Jesus is the promised Messiah. Okay, so there was in the Old Testament the ongoing prophecies that a Messiah would come from very early on. You could even say from the, actually the book of Genesis, the Garden of Eden, God told Eve, one of your offspring, you know, there would be enmity between the offspring of Satan, the offspring of God, you know, he will strike your heel, you will crush his head. There was an early promise that there would come a smashing blow from one of Eve's descendants to a spiritual being. How would that even happen? Nobody knew. But there was this ongoing promise that someone is coming to save us. Verse 15, he's called the author of life. Verse 14, he's called the holy and righteous one. And it says in verse 19, repent, turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ. That's the anointed one, that's the Messiah, appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Jesus is the Christ whom heaven has received alive because he was risen from the grave. Jesus fulfilled the prophecies and the promises of the Old Testament. Now, Israel really, really wanted this Messiah to come. All right, so it's election season now, right? Are you going to vote this week? It's your chance to decide who you want in power. Maybe you don't like your options, but ordinarily we go and we vote, right? Because it's voting time. 
We're not happy about it. We're kind of skeptical. Maybe there's cheating going on. You know, does my vote even matter? And it seems like one party always wins in this state anyway. Should I go out and make my vote? We, we have all these emotions that get stirred up when it's election season. And all the ads, the ads, the ads. Am I right? They just keep coming. This guy's a monster and this person's an angel. And you're just like, ah, you get overwhelmed. I like to have a little fun with it. You know what I do? I call Fox News on election night, and I say, I just saw someone running down my street with a box of ballots. And then I go to my least favorite neighbor, and I put a box of ballots on their front doorstep. It's awesome! I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Didn't think I would really do that, did you? Now take all those feelings, take all of them. Elections, politics, rulers, right? And if you're alive in first century Israel, you don't get to pick nothing. You've got a Caesar, that's that. You've got a king, do what he says. You've got tax collectors, you have no right to appeal. You're a Roman citizen, you have some. Even then, your uh, emperor claims to be a god, so good luck. Now imagine if that was your life. But the Bible had said that there was a divine Messiah coming, a king who would break us free from all of this nonsense. Would you be longing for that? Yes! And then if Peter's like, he's the one! Wow! Can you imagine? Jesus is the promised Messiah. Israel longed for the king to arrive, to free them once and for all. Maybe it was Jesus, but then he died. And Peter says, no. He's alive, ruling heaven. And they wondered, could it be? Could it be? Could it be? You see, they had their greats. They had Moses, you know. They had Joshua. They had it. Well, where does Jesus fit into all? What did Jesus do compared to what they did? It's like, you know, we've got our Mount Rushmore, right? Here's a picture of Mount Rushmore. We've got our Mount Rushmore. How many of you have been to Mount Rushmore? Anybody gone there, paid your tribute, you've seen it? Amazing! We've got the, we've got such amazing, iconic, People in our history, George Washington, I read a little bit about how they made this mountain, and they, my goodness, the dynamite and the shaping of it all and finding the right rock, it's, un, it's incredible what these men accomplished. So imagine, like, if you've got the greatest of the great people who've ever lived in the Old Testament and now Jesus comes along, well, does he even belong up there on our Jewish Mount Rushmore? It, well, does he even, is he greater than Moses? How can you say that? Do you see the tension in their hearts? Only the Messiah could be greater than all of them. Only the Messiah. And Jesus is the promised Messiah. Where does he fall on the hierarchy of greats? Moses parted the Red Sea. Well, if Jesus is the Messiah, he's the king forever. He's greater than anyone you've ever heard of in your entire life. And if he is who he said he is, you should turn your entire life toward him and follow him for all of your days. That's Peter's sermon. He knows they acted in ignorance. They didn't quite see it, but it was foretold by all the prophets. And this healed man back then shows Jesus is alive. He's the promised Messiah. Do you believe Jesus is the Messiah? Do you believe there's one true God and he has one eternal plan and the plan is a person and the person is Jesus? 
Is that your plan? Is that your plan? Have you turned toward that plan? Now he gives us further reasons why we should believe Jesus is the Messiah. So repent, believe Jesus. You'll be saying, why? Well, because there's only one true God. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Okay, now say prove it. All right, I will. Write this down. Abraham pointed to Jesus. Go write that down. Abraham pointed to Jesus. So he goes on to say this, and we're kind of doing them out of order. It says in verse 22, Moses, we'll come back to him, said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. Okay, so Moses was talking about Jesus. And it should be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel, from those who came after him, also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, that's Jesus, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Let's take him in reverse order. So Abraham lived 2000 BC and Abraham pointed to Jesus. Abraham had a covenant made with him. God took him outside. He had no kids and he was like 75 years old. And God said, you're going to be the father of many nations. You're going to look up at the stars. Abraham looked up at the stars. You're going to have more descendants than that. And Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. God made a covenant with him that through him, all the nations on the earth will be blessed through one of his countless offspring. That would be Jesus. That would be the seed of Abraham through whom salvation would come to the world. This foreshadowed the coming of the Jewish nation, the coming of Jesus. This foreshadowed everything, and it's 2000 BC. Abraham, here's a picture, acted something out that looked insane at the time. This is a Rembrandt painting of Abraham offering his son Isaac up because God said so. What kind of a crazy thing is this? Well, if you dig into it, and we've done entire sermons on this, Abraham was in the very region, if not the very spot where Jesus would die thousands of years later. And you have a father offering his son. Do you see it? A father offering his son on this place to pursue a blessing. And Abraham in his mind said, well, the blessing is going to come through my son. So his reasoning was, well, God's going to have to bring him back to life. So you have a father offering his son, knowing God in order to keep his promise will bring his son back to life, the resurrection. Do you see Abraham's faith? The child of promise will come back from the grave. It's 2000 BC, folks. And he had the same faith you and I did. Now the angel came down and said, stop. Now I know that you believe, but you don't have to sacrifice your son because it will be provided, meaning God will provide the lamb. Is one plan. Abraham saw ahead, foretold through his life, through the covenant, what was coming. In Galatians 3.8, it says this, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Abraham's whole life revealed God's plan, the blessing of salvation through Abraham, Israel, through Isaac, that's why in John 8, 58, Jesus said this, Before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. And you know what they did? They picked up stones to stone him for blasphemy because Jesus claimed to live before he lived. 
Abraham's whole life pointed to Jesus. That's why we should believe Jesus is the promised Messiah. Abraham pointed to Jesus. A covenant, by the way, is a peace treaty. It's a a binding promise. So when God promised on his own life that this descendant would come with this blessing, it's either the blessing comes or God dies. And what's interesting is the divine son did die in order to keep the promise that God made. So Abraham pointed to Jesus. Jot this down. Moses pointed to Jesus. Moses pointed to Jesus. So now we're at 1500 B.C. 1500 B.C. Verse 22, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. He's looking back to Leviticus. And, and why? Well, because God's not going to raise up magicians for you. God's not, look, he's going to raise up prophets like me, like me. There's going to be a prophet. There's going to be several, but there's going to be the prophet like me, meaning Moses' life and his message and his words pointed to the Messiah. A prophet like Moses. Here's a picture of a painting. Um, I love this one. Moses is parting of the Red Sea. This is a painting that kind of correlated to the, the movie which was really awesome if you've never seen that cartoon version of Moses' story. What a guy! He parted the Red Sea. He talked to a burning bush. His face glowed after he came down from Sinai, a mountain on fire. Wow! And on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus, Jesus burst into light before God's glorious presence even came down. It's inherent in him. And then Moses and Elijah appeared talking to Jesus. Moses finally got into the promised land. Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses, in fact, looked ahead. What Moses did on earth to deliver a people from physical slavery, Jesus did in heaven, spiritually, to deliver us forever. Moses' whole life was one big flannel graph, remember those, of what Jesus was going to do. He knew that. Moses pointed to Jesus. In Hebrews 3.3, it says this, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Jesus is the builder of all of Israel. Moses' whole life revealed God's plan. So Abraham pointed to Jesus, 2000 B.C. Moses pointed to Jesus, 1500 B.C. Write this down. The prophets pointed to Jesus. Now we're like 1000 B.C., which is around David's time. And then we, we kind of also go to like 700 B.C., which is like Isaiah's time, which are kind of brought up here. So when it mentions Samuel, Samuel, of course, recorded the story of David. There was a Mosaic covenant in the Mount Sinai that looked ahead to Christ. There's now a Davidic covenant where one of David's descendants would be enthroned forever. They all point to Jesus. That's the point. Samuel recorded that. David was also a prophet. He wrote several psalms, Psalm 22, Psalm 69, which included shocking details about how the Messiah would suffer and die. And so that's how Peter can say here that in verse 18, God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that the Christ would suffer and thus be fulfilled. Old Testament talked about it. So we've got some verses from Psalm 22 up on the screen here. Here's what it said. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Uh, words of Christ at the cross is 1000 BC. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. 
I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. One more. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Shockingly accurate to the death of the Messiah a thousand years in advance. So that's Samuel. That's David. What about Isaiah? Well, we've got Isaiah 53, 3 to 7. We'll put that up on the screen. Now, it's 700 B.C. <clears throat> Isaiah writes, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. We held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain, bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. 700 BC, shockingly accurate descriptions of the death of the Son of God. The prophets told us. Now this also proves that the early church got it. They didn't get it when Jesus was on earth. When Jesus went on earth and he's like, I'm going to die. Peter's like, this shall never happen to you. Swinging the sword. And very shortly after, they open their Bibles again and they're like, oh, he had to suffer and die. So they knew that he was going to be a suffering Messiah. This shows that this idea of Jesus wasn't a legend that kept growing and growing. Oh, I saw him feed 500. Well, I saw him feed 5,000. Well, I saw him walk on water. Well, I saw him ride a unicorn. All right, this wasn't legends growing over time. This was, he's the one from right away. He's the one. He's the one. They're telling the people who opposed Jesus, look, you got it wrong. He's alive. You can't find the body. Okay, this isn't legend stuff. This is immediately they realized he's the one. So you can trust the prophets and you can trust the apostles. Why should I believe this? Abraham pointed to Jesus. Moses pointed to Jesus. The prophets pointed to Jesus. This is the plan. Do you believe God's plan? Thousands of years in the making. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? And because Jesus is alive, have you turned your life around to him? Because Jesus is alive, if you're messing up right now, do you realize it's time to turn again and get back on track? Jot this down. Because Jesus died, rose again, and rules heaven. Jesus died, rose again, and rules heaven. It says, verse 18, Christ would suffer. And then it goes on to say, that, verse 15, you killed the altar of life whom God raised from the dead. The whole point is, he's alive right now. So you should turn your whole life to him or turn back to him right now. God, verse 26, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning, turning every one of you from your wickedness. Here's a picture of the crucifixion. This is what Jesus did. He died on the cross to take away your sins. Here's a picture of the tomb, the empty tomb. He rose again and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is alive right now. And that should make you turn to him, your whole life to him for the first time, and turn back to him whenever you wander away. What do you need to turn around from right now? 
Maybe you are struggling with greed. Maybe you're struggling with worldliness or you're tempted by lust. Maybe you're involved in a relationship that you have no business carrying on another day, another text, another message. Maybe you have a problem with authority. You won't stop challenging. Maybe you have a problem with laziness and you just won't get going. Do you need to turn around from these things today because Jesus is on the throne in heaven and he wants you to follow him? Maybe you need to turn your life around for the first time, your whole life, and sin and selfishness and pride and folly has prevented you from doing that. Maybe you're making the mistake of thinking, well, I'm really just not that bad of a person. Other people might need to turn around, but me, I'm really just not that bad of a guy. Well, the Bible is like a magnifying glass into your soul, and it reports on what it sees. And the word used here is wickedness. Okay, these are things that only God can fix. Wickedness. Somebody released a um, picture of an ant recently. Have you seen this? And it was a super zoomed up, close up picture of an ant. Check it out. Here's a picture of what an ant really looks like. Oh my! Here's another picture. That is what's haunting your patio. Here's another picture. This is an ant. Oh dear. (laughs) Yeah, watch out. Closer look, terrifying. Hey, look, a closer look into your soul is terrifying. Now you could wait until the next life and you could foolishly go up to judge and be like, well, prove that I'm that bad. Oh, your trial will be over in no time, okay? There will be no trouble. Camera two, angel, camera three. Okay, let's move on to accusation number 133,692. You can foolishly deny it now, or you can humbly admit what the Bible says, and that is that you have a wicked heart. And only Jesus can cleanse it of sin. Only he can wipe it out, blot it out. That's the word used. Have you asked him to do that? Have you asked him to cleanse out your soul? Jesus is already reigning on the throne right now, and yet he will soon return. It says in verse 21, heaven must receive till the time for restoring all things. God has already put Jesus on the throne, but he will soon return to claim those who are his own. Have you been saved? Have you turned your life to him? And have you been washed of all of your sin? If so, are you walking in a manner worthy of the gospel? Or do you need to turn again and get off of that stuff and get away from that person and knock that off? What do you need to repent of today? Remember, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us anything anything, anything. Well, this is your chance. Maybe to do a quick pivot, like an athlete turning on a dime. Maybe to look ridiculous, like that bus that I showed you at the beginning, the most sorry, dangerous-looking turn you've ever made. And whatever it is, it's time to turn around. Let's pray. Jesus, I know that there are some here today And they have never for the first time turned away from their life of sin, selfishness, and folly. Maybe they've denied that things are as bad as the Bible says. Or maybe they know that they are filled with sin and they're so ashamed they just don't think that you would ever receive a person like them. Oh, Father, I pray that they would right now in their own hearts repent. That they would turn toward the living God and be saved. That they would stop in their tracks Stop going their own way. Stop doing their own thing. Stop thinking nonsense about God and turn 
to the one true God and believe in Jesus Christ, who was prophesied, talked about, foreshadowed for thousands of years. He's the one, and he's alive. I pray that they would cry out in their own hearts saying, Jesus, save me, forgive me, take away all my sins. Lord, maybe there are some here today who've been in the faith for years, but they know they're going the wrong way. They're making fools of themselves. They're trying what doesn't work. They're trying and trying and fleeing from you and wandering. Maybe it's actively they're doing things they know that are wrong, or maybe it's passively they're just, they're just neglecting what you would have them become. Either way, I pray that they would stop, repent, and turn to the living God, that their sins might be washed out. We know you discipline those you love. We know that humility is plan A and humiliation is plan B. While there's still time, I pray that they would repent of their specific sins, ask for forgiveness, and turn around, no matter the consequences, confessing their sins and being fully forgiven. Thank you, Jesus, for washing away all of our sins. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing one more song.